Welcome to the EDM Producer Podcast. My name is Steve Cherbino, and this is the show where we interview successful electronic music producers. We find out what they're doing, how they're making their music, what their favorite gear is. And the whole goal of the show is to help you guys out there become better musicians yourselves, get your tracks out there, and get them heard yourselves. Like I said, I'm Steve Cherbino, and I'm happy that this show, and some of you who have been listening or have been wondering probably where we were in the past two years, this is the official reboot of the EDM Producer Podcast. And that is owed in a huge amount to my new co-host and impetus for the relaunching the show. Ryan Deal is joining me here, and I'm super happy to have him as my co-host. What's going on, Ryan? Hey, how you doing? I'm super stoked to be here. Um, been following what you've been doing for a while, and uh, it's it's great information. It's a great show, and I am super honored to be a part of the process. So thanks. Well, thank you. And as you guys know, we always have killer producers on the show, and this show is no different. So today we have Julian Gray with us, and uh, Julian Gray I've actually been following for over a year now. Uh, I've been doing tutorials on YouTube and trying to learn production techniques uh, for a while now, and he definitely delivers some of the top-notch, cream-of-the-crop tutorials, uh, explains every concept very, very well, and on top of that, he's crushing it on the music production tip. He also does one-on-one tutoring as well, and he's touring uh, currently, so the man is is very busy. He's multifaceted, and uh, I got to be honest, I'm, I'm fanboying out a little bit. I'm super stoked <laughs> to have him here. So uh, with that, and uh, to our listeners, here is Julian Gray. Thanks for being with us. Hi. Thanks for having me on the interview. This is an honor to be part of like the reboot for this series. Thanks, man. I mean, we're pumped to have you on, and we're pumped to reboot because- yeah. You know, once you're once you're not doing this for a while, you miss it, and uh, I've missed it. Oh yeah, I've missed it. You could probably uh, feel how that is if you didn't weren't able to produce for a couple years. I actually, yeah, yeah, literally, I, I I host a podcast myself from time to time. Yeah, I was doing it more consistently like a year and a half ago, and I I do miss it. It's it's a really interesting like platform to get, I guess, ideas across. Um, but I just don't have the time to do it. But I love to do things like this where it. It's reminiscent of back when I was interviewing people. <laughs> totally. Well, like Ryan said, you're slammed busy, I'm sure. So you have other cool yeah. stuff going on at least. But um, tell us a little bit about yourself and you know the, the kind of music that you're doing right now. So um, I'm a musician, DJ, producer, live performer, content creator, um, whatever you want to call me pretty much. I, I just really enjoy digital media. Um, I currently am writing a lot of music. That's been my biggest focus for the past few years. Um, it's really taking off. Uh, I've got an EP out on Mousetrap that came out about a month and a half ago. And then we have a single on Zero Three that just came out and it's charting on Beatport's Progressive right now. It's really exciting. Um, but in addition to the music stuff, I'm also very into other forms of digital media like uh, video creation, graphic design. Uh, motion graphics, etc. Essentially, anything that has to do with a computer and art, I'm into it. <laughs> That's awesome. You're a true geek. Yeah. Oh yeah, totally. I, I actually started when I was when I was first starting. I actually, um, well, my family is very musical, so there was that always in my family. But I was more interested actually in information technology. 
um, before I was heavily into music and arts. So there was always an artistic side because of my family and, and I was very like painter, drawer kid growing up. Um, but I definitely was more focused in the information tech stuff, like building computers and taking them apart and electrical engineering and stuff like that. And um, around like age 10 or 11, I found electronic music and the creation of it. And it allowed me to kind of, you know, combine my analog mediums, like playing instruments and stuff like that with my technical interest with like audio physics and building computers and electrical engineering. And um, it became a really cool medium for me to express that. Oh, dude, it's the perfect marriage. Uh, yes. I know what you mean. I used to own a computer repair shop and my background is in IT too. And there you go. I always wanted to be a musician. And so, yeah, when like electronic stuff came out and you could do almost anything on a laptop, it, it was like the answer uh -huh. I've been looking for. <laughs> yeah, I, I was like probably late to that party. Like I'm not that old. So I didn't really see the the rise of audio tech, but I, I kind of envy that, like the early uh, audio software when it was first coming out, C totally changed everything for the music world. Yeah, it took a while yeah. to get where we're at now, but for, yeah. for sure, we're we're finally at the point now where you could just pop open almost any software and make like a record ready track. Yeah, I got into this like around like twenty ten ish. All right, um, and. The software even from then to today is like a night and day difference, you know? <laughs> yeah, I, I fall somewhere actually in between because I was telling Steve the other day that I used to produce on Rebirth uh, before I even transitioned ah. over to Reason. And uh, <laughs> when I was bringing in my music to art class, I was basically recording everything onto tape cassettes. So I was like digital oh, but wow. analog a little bit at the same time. But yeah, it's nice That's to be nuts. where we're at now where everything's sort of in box. Yeah, and I was I was very like raised on that analog stuff. My dad is like a he's a guitar teacher and a kind of like DIY studio musician. So he has like we had like a studio in the house growing up with like a multi-track tape recorder stuff. So I was I was raised on that stuff. Um, so even though I wasn't from that era, I was kind of still raised up in the analog. Uh, gear <laughs> it does have its sound man it's undeniable like definitely tape hiss is something that you kind of miss every once in a while <laughs> yeah i have this um my dad actually gave it to me he bought it back in the 70s uh ms10 like the korg nice uh, sing single oscillator uh it's the little brother of the ms20 really really fantastic synth amazing yeah so uh what actually is your DAW of choice right now? Um, the DAW that I use the most um, is Ableton Live. Uh, I use Live 10. Um, I Over the years, I've used pretty much all of them, uh, all the main ones like that have you know, come into popularity since 2010. I, I was in FL for a while. Uh, I was in Logic or Reason. I even did a bit in Cubase for a minute. My dad swears by Studio One, which I can't yeah, stand. Yeah, baby. That's, hey, we're recording you on it right now. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> there, you, Ryan. there you go. Ryan's an there Ableton you go. guy. Yep. Yeah, um, he's a Studio One guy. Um, so I, I don't know. I, I use them all, but I, I love Ableton and I teach in Ableton. I think when I was first starting, going back to that story, um, I was more interested in DJing, actually. Um, and... I started DJing and, and that's actually how I started YouTube. I, I created this DJ tutorial and it went me mega viral, like a few mil views. Wow. Um, 
and I think it still exists to this day. It's like a virtual DJ tutorial. So I mean, I was very young. Um, and um, I went from that DJ world from software to software. So I went like virtual DJ to Serato to Tractor and it kept on getting more and more complicated. And then I eventually got into Ableton for DJing. Mm. And um, while I was, you know, experimenting with other DAWs, this was all happening. So when I discovered Ableton could be a production tool as well, um, I migrated from like Logic or whatever it was I was using at the time to that uh, Ableton because it can be used as a live tool and a in-studio tool. Right. And um, that was like the progression of that. I started more interested in DJing and I was hopping from DAW to DAW as far as music creation goes. And then I fell upon Ableton because I can write a song and then perform it live in the same program, which is pretty cool. Right. So you feel that's the biggest sort of advantage in comparison to other DAWs? Because I find it sort Um, of interesting that like uh, a lot of people who use FL Studio sort of it's almost like they're at war with people who use Ableton and vice versa. It's like PC FL versus and Ableton. Mac. Yeah, it's like the <laughs> ultimate duel. I think I think FL a lot of FL users don't like being called like like noob producers or like right. like you know like n- novice producers because of their DAW. Um and then Ableton people like to call them the novice producers and stuff even though like Ableton is relatively new. Um I don't know what the the big argument between the two is. I guess they're both equally weird, right? Maybe, yeah. Like um, neither of them are like standardized, like Logic or or Pro Tools or you know, like the standard format with the inserts and you know how the mixers laid out on most DAWs. I guess Ableton and FL are the weird ones, right? So maybe that's why they're <laughs> they're competitive or using the know. tracks on the right side instead of the left, which I swear every yeah. other one does. <laughs> that's yeah, right. but I would say that's like the the biggest thing about live that I like. I can treat like my writing process like a loop pedal, mm. and I can like set the thing going and then record into a channel and then record into the next clip and the next clip and etc. And build a, a full like drop, if you will, or like a a chorus section. Um, without even stopping the playhead you know right well that's right that's actually really interesting um so yeah. do you start your creative process in the it in really the loops, depends. not on the arrange window it does depend on the song um if i'm writing a song that's like i've i've gotten the basic idea out on piano or something and i i do often start on piano um yeah i'll do that uh but if it's like a uh I don't know. I'm just trying to fiddle with note creation and stuff, and I just want to add uh, progression or plug in a progression. Then I won't do that. Right. So it really depends on the the writing style. But um, if I have an idea out on piano or something, or if I'm messing with my push, um, I'll just record it and then keep the loop going and keep adding to it without stopping it. I find that's like a really uh, quick way of writing music. It's like a like I said, it's like a loop pedal on steroids. You know, right. Right. Yeah. I mean, it is called live. I mean, people forget that. Like, it, it's the 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 way you went from DJing into production is perfect through yeah. Ableton because the software is called live, and it was originally designed to do that. Exactly. So, it was it was definitely like, and you can see that remnants. Like, it totally is a DJ tool that turned DAW. <laughs> right. Exactly. Exactly. Like I, I the think, EQ three has no function outside of a live. <laughs> it's you know. true. I think that's yeah. why I, I can't get into it because I, I'm not a DJ. But right, maybe. One but day. if you're used to DJing, um, it's like a no-brainer. Yeah, because it, 
you can just drag a clip from your arrangement onto your essentially your decks and then you can play it live you know right. and then it's like a new level of djing and musical expression live for electronic musicians so that's like my biggest thing about live and then also it's it's a really quick workflow i think because i guess that is remnant of the dj thing where you have to be moving quickly right. live right um i think it's very easy to do things quickly and i love the way that it arranges it, your your um signal path down at the bottom oh i love horizontally. that yeah it's beautiful yeah yeah that is nice i do have to agree that is nice i wish i had yeah. that in studio one <laughs> but, um, yeah the the whole insert thing kind of i don't know it is it's clunky it's, it's kind of it's kind of clunky and well it's based on like older consoles and stuff so for the people who are used to that yeah but like this new generation that's coming up we're more used to a, a visual user interface and live kind of caters to that you know i'm with you i yeah. mean the, the the old older i can't say old that's rude <laughs> the older pro tools like generation who die who live and die by that doll they they almost don't know anything else or or they that's right. just the clunkiness is like what they like it's you know they have because they're used to they're it. used to it, i right. think i think it's the comfort of right, right. That, this is what i've been using for it's like that old like I guess it's that generation of people. I don't want to generalize, but it's like they're very like if it isn't broken, don't fix it. Right. Like they have like a car from 30 years ago where our new generation is very like if we can improve upon it, let's do that. Right. Right. So I think I think it's a it's a generation uh <laughs> generational ideology difference there. For sure. Maybe. No, I'm with yeah. you. I see it. I see it. Cuz I get excited when I see an update. Like for, <laughs> oh, for like no. Mac OS or whatever, but like you know, and then some people are like they're still on OS ten point five or whatever from two thousand eight, you know. So I'm you. I don't know. I'm part of the crowd, right? I get nervous. I, I like update only unless I have to. Oh yeah, yeah. I'm I I uh, I, I I'm always weary of it. Like I, I do my proper research. I don't just dive in. Sure. But I definitely am am I guess excited for new upcoming updates and technology i'm always giddy about the new features <laughs> me too like i'll buy yeah. new dolls even though i'm never going to use them just because they're the latest right. ones but um and i'm reckless yep. too about updates i i'm just I, i'll update anything yeah exactly um, and i love i love the uh the dolls that that give you free lifetime updates it's so good I really wish that uh, Ableton would adopt that. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if that's going to happen anytime soon. No, I actually I'm very close with the Ableton team. Yeah, because I've you know I've done a lot of stuff with them. I suggested to them like a subscription model, similar to like rent to own Serum. Yeah, yeah. If you're familiar with that. I think that would be so much more valuable than having three different tiers because my uh, my logic is if if you're a new producer and you know that something better exists why would you buy like intro right you know you know what i'm saying like nobody wants intro i don't think it really has a place it's more like i would rather crack um sweet than to buy a hundred dollar intro yep so they're losing they're losing all the potential newcomer producers because they don't want to spend a hundred dollars on like a watered down program right where, where i think you're they, not going to get could've... sampler or anything really important in that exactly anyway. like yeah. you can't even produce a song like in an in intro it's more like just 
fooling about in the doll. Right. Um, you really have to get at least standard to do any like major production. So I always like, yeah, just make like a, an entry level like subscription model or something. And I think they're considering it. Yeah, I was going to ask. What I, it would they, make what much more say? sense. Yeah, did they, were they open to it? Um, they they said they're considering it. I I, I went over to the headquarters. Uh, oh man, like a year and a half ago. Yeah, they're 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 na- the North American headquarters. I should say they're they're based in Berlin. Right, right. As far as I know. Yeah, that's exciting, man. They totally should. I mean, look at Adobe. They figured it out. You know how many cracked exactly. <laughs> cracked Photoshop's there are out there before they made a subscription. Right. So yeah, they sh- and then you you only pay for the programs you need, and then you you essentially if you can't pay it one month, you just deactivate your service. And it's and like you can get it as low as like twenty or thirty dollars a year a month, you know. Yeah, so it's that's a good it's idea. It's worth it for for the whole creative suite. I would do it. Like, yeah, exactly. Whereas Ableton, they're they're getting all these new producers that are cracking suite oh, because man. they don't want to buy a hundred dollar watered down program and they can't afford a thousand dollar DAW. So yeah, it makes sense. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know how we got on this tangent, but that was like <laughs> that's like one of my biggest things with them. I'm like, okay. You got to fix your 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 uh, pricing model. It's kind of jacked up. <laughs> I'm with you. Yeah. Well, I guess getting back into Ableton, mm-hmm. tell us some of your like favorite production tips. Now, I know you have YouTube videos and you give all kinds of great tutorials, but some of the stuff that really stands out to you, like if you had to like tell somebody, look, this is a super cool thing you could do in Ableton. Like a pinnacle tip. Yeah. Um. Goodness, I, I, I don't know if like you're saying like a, a cool like obscure tip, or you're saying like more like necess- necessity. Oh, either one, <laughs> whatever you think is you would want people to know um, about as far as production tips that you. Can I do. think, yeah, one of the biggest things for me, um, and it's something I employ in my music a lot. Um, when you're when you're an electronic music producer, you you tend to over you add so ma- so much to your songs you end up with these massive like 10 layers to a single sound right and i actually i'm i'm against that ideology i i kind of approach electronic music from like a a rock uh a rock perspective um where you have those like three or four core instruments um that make up the the song essentially you know you have your bass guitar you have your guitar you have your drums and you have your your lead slash your singer and you never have them both at the same time. Um, and I think that's something that goes like way um, unnoticed in the electronic world because mm. we have the ability to add as much as we want. Mm. Um, we tend to overcompensate and we add so many layers. Um, I think like the, the, the core thing about it is to write your music in octaves. And that's like a, um, that's, I think I'm going to do a video on this soon because it's how I write my music and it's why my mixes are so easy. Um, if you, if you think about like a four piece rock band, again, your bass is in your like C zero to C one range. And then your, your guitar is in from like C one to C two or three. And then you have your lead up and three or high twos or whatever. But the thing is, if you write your music in like four different layers and every single element has their own octave, there's no chance that a C zero note will ever conflict with a C two. Right. So you're free, you don't have to think of your mixes in frequency. You can think of them in octaves. Hmm. And that's something that I employ like almost in every song. I try to fill out um, one layer in every octave and never have more than one layer in any, any given octave. 
because then you're trying to shoehorn multiple elements into the same space. It would be like having two bass guitars. Right. Yeah. Now, you do layer synths, I would assume, at points in your tracks. No? If I layer synths, I hardly ever use the same note. Okay. Um, I, I, I generally design my sound so I don't have to layer um, with signal processing and stuff like that. Um, but I try to avoid having multiple layers in the same octave. Um, if, if I do have to do that, it'll be something like a, a pad and a piano per se, like very, very different sounds. Right. Um, and I will place them differently in like the, the stereo image. Like I'll set one way in the background and have one in the foreground or something. I, I don't like having two similar, uh, I guess sounds in the same note or same octave, um, in the same, like general place in the stereo image i think that just muds up things right that sort of goes off uh, one of the videos that you did that i I absolutely loved you were going deep into the concept of contrast yes yeah so i guess that would would riff off that a little bit that is definitely another one um contrast is like the key to a good mix as well uh when when you have something extremely wet and you have something dry the dry thing is going to be perceived as closer to you or more present. And then the wet thing is going to be farther away. And then the contrast also applies to like the difference between the dynamics in a drop versus in a breakdown. Right. Um, if, if it's two or three decibels quieter in the breakdown, the drop's going to sound monumentally, monumentally louder mm. because of how big of a contrast it is. Like having that contrast between elements and using that to your advantage to have like okay, I want this in the foreground. I want this to be not taking as much of the listener's attention. Um, that's like the key to a good mix, I think. That's nice. great stuff, man. I'm like soaking it in. Awesome. Soak it in. <laughs> <laughs> Knowledge. So Knowledge. Where, where do you go to personally learn and improve your EDM production skills. I know one of your most recent tracks you actually were talking about in the DAW, I think it was on Multiplier's channel. Yep. Um, and, and I remember you talking about it and you were saying you were trying to do something that was sort of stretching your musical theory and your almost musical rhythmic theory, I think, on that one a yeah. lot, your your legs on that one. So, I mean, where do you where do you go to sort of personally improve on what you do? Or is it just sort of something you dive deep I into your own mind? I think it's more... Yeah, it's into my own world. I have a lot of the, you know, music theory and technological background stuff that down. Right. Um, it's more experimentation for me. Um, or if I work or collaborate with another like exceptional producer, um, I can absorb some of their knowledge or their approach to what it is I'm doing. Um, I'm working on a collaboration with Mr. Bill. I don't know if you're familiar. Um, no. He's an incredible YouTuber and producer. Okay. Um, I'm going to have to look him like up. The, yeah, he's big in the IDM world. And, um, oh, wow. And uh, it's like he has these incredibly complex strategies of achieving these things. And it's really interesting to see producers like that and, and work with them because then you can learn a lot of these really wonky techniques that you can apply to your own workflow. Right. Um, I don't have like go-to places to learn from. I think it's more experimentation for me, but I think when I was first starting, it would have been more beneficial to find a mentor or something. Um, I was very like, go at it myself, kind of. 
Um, Which seems to have worked well for you. I mean, you've developed quite an independent, unique sound, I feel. I think so, but um, it definitely took longer than it should have. Um, some of my students now like that I mentor, I think are like maybe 80% of my ability or like, I don't know, like close to that. And they've gotten there within like a year and a half compared to my like nine or 10 years of dicking around in a DAW essentially. Right. You know? So like it only clicked for me like maybe four or five years ago, whereas it could have happened very quickly if I had like a mentor. Um, one one biggest tip I think is is don't follow any uh, like YouTube tutorials if you don't enjoy the person making some, some music, <laughs> <laughs> and that's like a that's a big that's a big thing for a lot of um, older tutorials. Like there's all these people making these tutorials on YouTube on how to make this sound or that sound or whatever, and then you watch this 30 minute video and the sound is terrible. Right. You know. So I think Probably I think don't learn want to be from, following in that person's footsteps at that point. Right. Maybe learn from the mentors that, or maybe learn, get mentorship, I should say, from the musicians that you personally enjoy, if possible. Right. Um, I learned a lot from watching Dead Mouse's live streams. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. And that was a, I, I would say that if, if anything, that was like my quote unquote mentorship, if you will. And mentorship doesn't have to be like a teacher and a student. It could be like you reading a book or a series of books from this you know producer or or i guess even like influencer sure um or watching their all of their videos and trying to grasp their workflow right right yeah um i sort of want to go back to uh mr bill here for a second because i find that quite interesting you said he Mm -hmm. he specializes in idm i'm sort of looking him up right now um idm experimental like i don't even know what you call him he just like he's been at this for like years interesting 20 years or something and he's like a i I, he's pushing the boundaries of what ableton can do okay and i think like there's like maybe three or four of those kind of people you know like they're they're using devices and things in such a strange and obscure way to create these incredibly complex like I guess patches sure for lack of a better word to make music right and it's really fascinating to see people like that um, kind of using tools in an unconventional way to get different results because I'm very familiar with like okay I know how a compressor works I know how an EQ works or like a reverb or what have you but using them so weird to create these absurd uh, you know sounds Right. That's like new territory for me. You mean like automating them in weird ways or? Automating in weird ways, just using them unconventionally. Like um, I learned this technique recently where you can take a a drum rack um, and I actually employ it a lot. You take a drum rack and you toss uh, like maybe 50 drum bits on it or like little micro samples. And then you fill your MIDI, like the actual clip that's triggering the drum rack all the way like every single note has a thing and then you put an arpeggio oh wow that's a cool idea on it and then you can automate the rate of the arpeggio like off the clock so it's like you can get these gnarly like crazy glitchy sounds and stuff and it's that kind of thing that Hmm. i'm talking about it's like using these tools in such an unconventional way to create these really cool i guess sounds sound design i guess interesting that's pretty neat and for anybody who's listening who is like, 
IDM, what is that? I, I always thought that was a funny name. It actually stands for uh, Intelligent Dance Music. <laughs> uh, I, I I don't hate the name, but it's like what they call like Aphex Twin and right. you know, those those kind of musicians. Totally. So I mean, I was the next question I had after that was like, since your music, I, I definitely would not define as IDM, and I don't mean that in yeah. any sort of negative way. But no worries. Like I've I've definitely approached sessions and tried to produce with people whose style was so vastly different from what I would produce on my own, and right there tends to be a lockup in the creative process at times. Sometimes it, it turns into something really cool that neither one would produce on their own, but. Um, yeah. Do you find that when you're working with someone who's IDM or totally different, is that how do you approach a session like that? I think it depends on how open-minded the other producer is and how open-minded you are. Because okay. um, I've worked with musicians that are so stuck in their ways that it's like, okay, I have no creative freedom. I really have to cater to what it is they like. And those collabs are generally like not fun. Right. Um, with Mr. Bill and producers like that, um, it's more, we're just like messing around, creating something cool. Um, and I think the the thing is really just finding good collaborative partners, like collaborators that you work well with um, more than anything. Right. Because you'll, you'll always find like some producers and some musicians are very stuck in a certain style. Um or their own workflow, and they and if you try to change something about it, then they they'll get upset. Right. Um, but then you find some musicians that are very open minded, like you know, absorb what you're trying to put in the table. You know. Right. That's interesting. Yeah, it's cool. I'm curious to hear some of that stuff when you guys uh, release some stuff. Yeah, absolutely. Um, s- soft synths. What's your favorite okay. synth? Um, I would have to say Serum. Cool. That's my go-to. Now, why is that your favorite? Um, it started. Well, I was I was a big massive guy, uh, twenty ten to twenty fourteen ish. Um, and Serum was just the logical um evolution of massive. Yeah, I'm just a big fan of wavetable synth. Um, I like it more than like a subtractive synth or an FM. Um, just because it it kind of has elements of all of them. Like you can use a wavetable synth in the same way you would use like a subtractive synth, like um, let's say like F Expansion Strobe Two or or like uh, Anna by Sonic Academy. Yeah, that's you can use synth. Serum in a similar way, um, even though it's wavetable. You can treat it like a standardized subtractive synth. Or yeah, uh, FM is kind of its own little world. I don't really dive yeah. into that too much. Yep. That's like it's it's like a technological nightmare um <laughs> the, it, the farthest i'll go yeah the farthest i'll go into fm8 and stuff like that is like presets and tweak a preset or something i i i'm i can confidently say that that is not my area of expertise yeah um me neither for but sure serum's just my favorite for a variety of reasons i, I like how it sounds i like that you can have the flexibility of importing your own wavetables and, and LFOs and stuff. I think the basic shapes in Serum sound exceptionally good. The basic effects do as well. Um, it's created by Steve Duda, and I have a bias towards Steve because he's awesome. <laughs> um, he's Dead Mouse is uh, uh, he used to be in a duo with Dead Mouse. Yeah, whatever they, happened to BSOD? Been the, yeah, uh, I have no idea. They're probably doing their own things now. I, I'd imagine Steve's busy with software. Um, He's a genius. Oh, my God. 
absolutely he's like the technical side while joel's the creative side mm-hmm. and it was such a cool parallel um back when they were doing that but um <laughs> that's another reason i have like a bias towards serum it's just like oh my god one of my favorite musicians old duo members and even steve's stuff is awesome so like he's making the kind of music i make so i automatically gravitate towards it i think most of the mousetrap artists are on serum yeah that would make sense too do you you feel like you like it uh in comparison to massive also because i think it has more of a visual production side to it i think massive there's small advantages to using massive but i think the largest i mean the there's an overwhelmingly large uh i guess benefits more to using serum than massive um there's minor things that massive does better there's a third oscillator for example sure um but it's like leaps and bounds better in serum like there's so many more things you can do in serum um and then massive's just kind of antiquated right now um it's released in like 2007 or 8 i think and it doesn't sound as good i think uh, as serum mm-hmm. poor little massive not to say it doesn't <laughs> sound good but it's it's still it's still a great synth but um, I don't know. I, 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 I'm definitely more a serum guy these days. I, I wrote like a lot of my old stuff in massive though. So gotcha. Well, um, and then riffing off of that mm-hmm. and then moving into effect plugins, what, yep. what would be some of your go-to effect plugins? So I'm actually in a very, uh, I guess a small population of people that actually uses the Ableton stock for almost everything. Wow. Um, yeah, I, I use their, their stock compressors, their stock EQ. Um, from time to time I use the stock instruments, the stock reverb. Um, as far as third party stuff goes, the only things I can't live without is the Valhalla DSP stuff, like the Valhalla room and vintage verb. Oh, I'm great. with you. Um, and I also like the, uh, isotope ozone eight bundle sure the the maximizer is fantastic that's what i use for my mastering um and actually i'm in ableton right now i'll take a look um that's essentially the main ones i use a bit from uh a fab filter like everybody else uh Xfer has some good stuff like the lfo tool or or the uh, cthulhu and that's really good um but other than that, man, it's mostly built-in plugins. I I, I like uh, Complete by Native Instruments. I use their pianos. But essentially, everything else I do is stock Ableton. Okay. I do love the piano sounds in, in, in Contact. I think they're great. Yeah, Contact's great. Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, as far as like stereo with plugins or anything like that, you're, I mean, how are you achieving those sounds if you're in box with, with Ableton? Um, I take a very literal approach to stereo with. Um, my approach to stereo is panning and and um, like cause effecty stuff, phase sure. uh, inversions and things like that. Like where it's the the very rudimentary way to do stereo imaging. Um, I think it's kind of over exaggerated a lot of the times. Like the importance of like a let's say an imager right i think you can get a better mix with just panning and um like strategic panning 
and maybe has effect on some things or you know even setting something into the background with a reverb right like a stereo reverb could be more effective than actually trying to you know use an imager where you get like a phasey mess in mono right so, yeah i don't know yeah I, i'm not huge on stereo i guess stereo influencing plugins like an imager or what have you okay no panning works I more so use an imager to look at my stereo field. Sure. Like yeah, it's, it's metering is great for that. Totally. How about hardware? Have you delved into anything either analog um, or like physical? <laughs> so I, I have that MS 10. Um, I, I'm more a software guy. I, I like the portability of keeping everything where I'm, I'm very cloud based as well. That's from the IT background, I think. So yeah. every computer essentially is is a clone of one another, automatically updated in the cloud. And I back up every project to Splice. So I try to keep my projects as digital as possible, actually. Um, if it's a hardware instrument that I use, I freeze it or bounce it to audio. Mm -hmm. So then I can store it on the cloud. Um, or if, if it's a... Uh, obscure plugin that I might not use like 10 years from now, I'll freeze that and convert it to audio or something. Um, I just like that if I go to any computer in the world with Serum and Isotope, I can open my project, you know? Um, so I, I try to actually keep everything in the box. As far as like outboard stuff, um, I use uh, an Apogee Duet for my converters. Fantastic uh digital to auto, analog conversion i use a midi keyboard and i have a uh, ableton push um but most of my stuff is in the box yes do you are you using duet 2 like the latest duet um it's the duet 2 for mac and ipad gotcha um i don't know the difference between that one and the duet 2 I think they're essentially the same thing. It's I think so. It's just a different connector. Yeah, I would imagine that the converters are the same. I would say. I mean, you had mentioned a, a few things like your duet and things like that, but is there anything else in your studio that you, you really love and could not do without? I mean, do you have a microphone that's your go-to mic or... Um, I actually, I mean, I, I just use a like a run-in-the-mill Audio-Technica. I think it's an AT2020. It's not the best mic, but it's not the worst, and it's good enough for like this sort of like podcasting stuff. Sure. That's pretty much what I do with it. So yeah, it sounds fine on all your, your videos and things. Yeah. And plus dude, hardware has come so far these days. Like even crappy audio interfaces sound great. Now Behringer yep. making amazing, like little audio interfaces. Um, yeah. There's really not that big of a difference. Right. Um, right. It's, it's like a very negligible difference between like a Apollo and a, you know, like a focus, right? Exactly. <laughs> I'm with you. Um, it's, 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 it's literally just like the audio file level stuff where you hear like very tiny differences. Right. Yeah. Just yeah. tiny, like the past 90%. That's where you're like splitting hairs. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, I've, I've been using the same audio interface, I think for like 10 years now or something. I've yeah, never seen Ryan a... use an audio interface. I've just seen him plug into his laptop. <laughs> <laughs> but what yeah, were you going to say? The, um, I was doing the, uh, focus, right. Um, was it the Scarlet two i two for the longest time? And then I, I just I had gotten I'd borrowed my friend's Firewire Duet, like the old one. Yeah, and then I um I upgraded from that to the uh, 
the new duet. So, yeah, it's probably sparkling. Amazing. It is very, very good. Sounds fantastic. Yeah, I'm, I'm still using the Motu 896 HD from, I think it's actually over 10 years old. So, when I got the new My, laptop, uh, it's Thunderbolt only. I had to get a Thunderbolt to Firewire 800 yeah. to Firewire 400 converter. <laughs> I, I was originally going to go for a, uh, a Thunderbolt. Uh, interface but then i realized my mac pro doesn't have a thunderbolt line so like that severely limited the amount of interfaces i could get right all of the uad stuff is thunderbolt um your mac pro like, doesn't what do you have the old the, silver one yeah i have the old cheese grater yeah nice nice uh, it's upgraded like a lot so right. it's usable but um it doesn't have thunderbolt so that put me in a predicament and the only company that offered like the same level conversions for like usb is Apogee, and they do the duet. So. Gotcha. Makes sense. Sounds great, though. Yeah. Otherwise, I would, I would have totally went for, like, a Apollo, if not. You know, my dad just bought one, and he's in about 70 now and wears hearing aids. So <laughs> <laughs> he seems to think it sounds good, but I'll, I'll let him have that. Okay. Um, <laughs> All right. Well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to actually segue into something that I'm, I'm really curious about. Uh, since you're you're so busy doing so many different things and you're, you're pumping out YouTube videos like left and right. And then you're fitting in releases on labels like, you know, I'm a mousetrap in between all of that. And then you're doing one-on-one tutoring. So it's, how do you find balance to, uh, I guess balance your time between making YouTube videos, teaching, and then actually spending time focusing on music. Um, it's getting more and more challenging. Uh, I, my short answer is like, a lot of scheduling. <laughs> sure. Um, I have like an Apple Watch and stuff, and I everything I do goes to my calendar. Um, honestly, it's there's like a lot of time during the day that you would think that you know you're not free, um, that you you think you're busy, but you're really not. Like that's what I've been finding. Okay. Um, if you start to cut out like a lot of the you know miscellaneous stuff you do during the day, you have a lot more productivity time. I'm like, uh, I, I probably work too much, like an unhealthy amount, but I definitely like, I think there's a lot more time in the day than you think if you get into a right schedule and right, you know, thing. Right. And I, and I, I have like maybe 15 students that have like one session a month. Yeah. So, I mean, you just upped that number recently, right? Cause you, yeah, you extended yeah. it to... It was originally it's, 10, I believe, and then you offered yeah, five more spots. I, I think it's like 14 or 15. I don't remember the exact number now. But wow. um, that's essentially one every other day. Um, either that or I stack them on a day. Like, I have a few tonight. Um, but, like, that's like two hours of the day, and then I have, like, all of the whole other day to, like, work on other things. Obviously, I still have to make money and stuff, so I do, like, YouTube, and, and um, I write my... Uh, like I work on engineering and mixing for people and stuff like that. I'm working on an album for a friend of mine right now. Um, but really it's just scheduling and optimizing your time. I think, sure. uh, yeah, you, you have a lot more time than you think you do. If you just like cut out things like, I don't know, watching a series on Netflix or, or, you know, like playing video games. Um, and yeah, I don't know. That's like my biggest thing. I, I, I'm actually, I enjoy the process more than I enjoy the end goal. And that works in my favor a lot of the time. Like I'll enjoy building a synth more than I will actually using the synth. 
Interesting. Like in electrical engineering, or I'll enjoy designing a thing more than the actual application for the thing. Um, and that's like a, it works. It's a character trait that works in my favor a lot because then I love to work. Um, right. You might actually be the first producer I've talked to who who feels that way. <laughs> yeah. That's so interesting, though. Like I have no desire to like I don't know become like a mega star or whatever. I actually just really enjoy the creative process and you know understanding the software right i think that's from my like computer background or something no that's fun stuff i know exactly what you mean and i think i think uh dead mouse is the same way like you can kind of see that like he's more interested in in you know learning new software and stuff like that than actually like performing the music right at least as far as i can tell yeah i don't know yeah, and, and riffing off that too, Mousetrap, getting signed to Mousetrap, that was a that was a big milestone for you in your career, no? Absolutely. Absolutely was. Yeah. That was uh early this no. Late last year, I think. Okay. Can I don't you, know what you were in. Right now, t- I mean, I'm maybe. really interested in how that sort of evolved. Can you sort of talk about how that happened and then what it sort of has done for you in your career as a an artist? Yeah, I um so I've been a fan of Dead Mouse since like his his like inception um maybe not that early but like when he started to go like mainstream uh like 4x4 equals 12 era like uh i'd say 2010 2011 i discovered him like middle school um and i was always like very present in that community um all of the other fans knew me and we were cool with each other and stuff so um I had started writing music and I was sending it to the community of like, you know, people, whatever platform it was, Twitter or Facebook or what have you, fans of Dead Mouse and stuff. And um, eventually, being so present in that community, um, Dead Mouse took notice to it and he started to recognize me. Um, wh- what actually caught me off, caught me by surprise the most, I think the first time I met Joel um, was at a meet and greet. Like, this puts into perspective, it was like 2015, okay. I think. Yeah. And um, I was getting his signature on, I think, my laptop. And I told him my name and he knew of me. Oh, like, wow. He like, he like knew me and he's like, yeah, we probably have your signature on some mousetrap contract somewhere. And I'm like, you totally don't. You absolutely should, though. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and um, that was the first encounter. And like at that point, I knew that Dead Mouse knew of my stuff. So then like I could you know, kind of leverage that. So later down the road, I think like a year or so, he did like a live stream and I had sent in a song because he was critiquing songs or something. Um, and he's like, it's our local try hard Julian Gray, like the mousetrap artist. And at this point, I still wasn't an artist on his <laughs> label, but he was under the assumption that I am. Um, he, he's kind of disassociated from his management for the label. So Right, right. Um, so but, that stream uh, though, that was actually when you got signed for the first time? Was on it that. wasn't when I got signed. That was the second time he recognized me. Got it. Um, and then he had talked to his A&R. All the while, I, I was, like, building my name in the community. And I, I actually knew the A&R personally. Like, at this point, I had met him a few times, and we had talked a few times. I had sent him music, and he just kind of, like, I don't think he ignored it because they were, like, very busy. Right. Um, but they just weren't, like, interested in it, I guess, uh, up till that point. Um but after that stream, uh, you know, I think they started to take a little bit more notice. And then I actually met Dead Mouse a third time 
or I guess I interacted with him a third time in, I think it was New Year's of 2017. Um, and he, I essentially, I'm, I'm close with a lot of the, the dubstep and bass music guys here in LA. And um, there's this event called Countdown, which is like the Insomniac events, like the biggest show of the year. It's like right. their New Year's Eve show. So they have different stages of like bass music and techno and stuff. It's one of the few events where you get a crossover between techno and dubstep. Um, which is awesome. So I was there. I was there. Yeah, it was really cool. So I was, I was there with some of my like dubstep friends because I'm I'm really cool in that like community. There there are a lot of. Uh, awesome guys um but i had like backstage passes and stuff and vip access so we're in like this gigantic room and and there was trailers everywhere for like noisia and joyride and dead mouse had two trailers at the back so like joel got there i met him he was pretty like shy at first but then like as soon as i told him my name he knew me and we kind of hit it off and then and then uh long story short he had the A&R email me and we did a EP like a few weeks later. And then it, that was signed in like early last year. And then um, it came out in like, I would say September. Yeah. September of this year. So yeah, that sounds about right. Yep. And, and you, um, you sort of run with that now and now your, your Facebook like page is uh, the Julian, Julian Gray tryhards. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Yep. I, I had to flip that troll on his head, you know, like, and I actually sampled his voice saying that in my song "Resident Tryhard," which was the the premiere on Mousetrap right. back in May. <laughs> yeah, we, we were listening um, to that. Yeah, the 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 fans kind of get a kick out of it, so I I named my my fan club Julian Gray Tryhards. So I like that. Yep, and, and I it's, think it's, it's pretty cool. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and the fact that you were able to meet him three times and your persistence is what you know is, is what I think got you. Yeah to where you like one of the things that got you to where you are like a lot of times I think this it stuff, absolutely is yeah. yeah it's it's not luck is what i'm trying to say and for people out there right. listening trying to figure out how to make it like you have to you have to meet people you got to put yourself out there you got to be not right. scared to confront like somebody as big as dead mouse and say hey you know i'm blah or i check out my song so it's very cool that you did that it's basically what i'm and i think at. yeah you just have to make yourself known within like their atmosphere or their orbit, I guess, like the Dead Mouse community or right. what have you. I think that was a big part of it. Right. That makes sense. So, yeah, that's like how I got on the label. Um, long story short, essentially, I've been like pursuing that label since 2014. <laughs> so, you know, well, congratulations some time, for, some time, for getting but there. Yeah. Yep. Thank you so much. What's, what's, it was really cool. It opened a lot of doors, I should say. I, I can imagine. Yeah. Well done on that. Um, getting towards the end here, but I, I would like to know like, what's the biggest challenge you have encountered so far in becoming an electronic musician? How, how did you overcome that? Um, the biggest challenge is finding people interested in your music, I think. Mm. Uh, um, and I'm still, yeah, I think that's an endless battle for any musician. Uh, I'm still trying to overcome that. Uh, I think I made a pretty decent name for myself as far as like music teacher goes on YouTube and that helped a lot. Gotcha. Um, I think it's just finding an avenue in like a, an alternative avenue in, you know what I mean? Yes. Like it's, it's hard to, for example, sending a demo email to mousetrap is like impossibly hard to get like a, you know, a song signed. 
Right. Unless you're, th- that's where the luck comes in. Maybe you'll get it signed. But right. like, you can find a different avenue into any situation, I think. Um, and a slightly easier angle. You know what I mean? Yeah, like starting a podcast and interviewing musicians. Right, or or doing YouTube exactly, or or doing <laughs> or doing a uh, you know YouTube channel for teaching musicians, and then that built into a connection with Ableton, who built into a connection with Steve Duda, and then like it's like you know, then you have this network of sizable things that you can keep building and referencing, and oh, I worked with Ableton, so you should work with me now. So you right. know what I mean? Right. Yeah. Right. So I think that was the most challenging thing about coming up and I think that's what most people will say is the most challenging thing is finding an audience um, and that's an endless battle really but I, I think what really helped me grow when I was first starting is just um, you know finding an alternative angle in which was the YouTube thing for me no I love it it's very smart yep uh, and then there's actually one more thing I, I, I'm really dying to talk to you about and Absolutely. it's one of the uh, things that sort of i was like yo steve we got to get this guy on here he's got this really unique <laughs> perspective on uh on sort of sobriety and how you basically mm-hmm. came out with that recently and you sort of you openly said you know hey by the way i'm straight edge i think it was the post on julian tryhards and then you did a whole video yeah. on it and uh you know i've been in the scene for for over a decade now probably coming up on over a decade and a half, if I really think about it, it's crazy. But mm-hmm. you know, I, I know how basically if if you go to a festival, a club night, uh, a production session, and and you're stone cold sober, a lot of times you're sort of the odd one out, or definitely fall into yeah. the minority. So I'm wondering how you navigate those waters. How does it affect you integrating into the scene, or branching out to new producers, or how how, how is that? Yeah, that is a it is a challenge that you face because um, you know when you're in a club, everybody's drunk. Uh, it's it's more I think finding the right people to go with or to to find I guess another angle into a conversation. You know, um, I, I I don't know. I think I think it's a life decision that you should make for yourself. Sure, um, that was like the whole point of that video. Um, you can drink if you'd like or what have you, but. Um, that's not for me. Um, but yeah, to, to, I don't know. It, it is a challenging thing to overcome in like a, I guess a club scenario because it is such a pinnacle part of electronic music. Right. Um, the biggest answer I, I'd say is like to find people that respect that decision and to be around them. Um, right. But as far as building new relationships, like networking in a club, if you're sober, it's like, just find another way to talk to them. You know, like whether that be like a uh, mutual interest in a musician or, or, you know, a technological interest like production or something like that, you know. Um, and a lot of people do actually respect sobriety. Um, you know, it's often seen, it can be seen as either like a, oh, he's sober, or it could be seen as like, Oh, that's something I respect that he can do that, you know. So yeah, I don't know. It's just finding the right people to be around. Sure. Um, yeah, I'd imagine that actually benefits you quite a bit in terms of productivity and just constantly For being on your game. Yeah, and and financially, it's it saves you <laughs> a lot of money. Um, <laughs> I mean, I don't have anything against that avenue necessarily, as long as you don't get too deep. 
Um, but I think it's more just like making the decision whether you want to go down that avenue or not. Just don't fall victim to like the sheep mentality. Right. Um, that was my biggest point in my video I made. Um, I personally just don't see the reason to do that. Um, I'm not that kind of person. I'm more like create things and be on the best, you know, my best mental um, state at all times and because I'm always working. If I'm at a show, I'm still on my phone texting like business inquiries and stuff. So <laughs> um, it could just be that, uh, that whole I enjoy the work thing. Um, I don't really like to let go and like relax. Uh, it might be partially that, but. I, I think it's know. cool. I think it's super cool, man. I, I think I'm, it's awesome too. Yeah, because there's so much joy to be had in getting something done. And when you right. kind of disable yourself in whatever way um, a drug might do that, you become that less able. And, you know, I've mm-hmm. learned the hard way. I'm, I'm 43. I was in a college fraternity when I was in school. So I've, yeah. I've like had both sides of the coin. Yeah, but, yeah. And, and a lot of times, like people don't realize how much that stuff can actually harm them later in life. I'm still feeling some effects. You know what I mean? Like long-term side effects. Long-term yeah. side effects. So if you want to just stay at the top of your game and just be as able as you can, I like your approach. Right. Yep. Staying sober. Yeah. Yeah. Staying sober and just um, as, as aware as you can be because you just get, and it's fun getting stuff done. Like you said. Absolutely. There's something rewarding about, yeah, like always working, at least for me. Yeah. yeah. I'm with you. What's the best piece of advice you could give right now to somebody listening to this show? Um, uh, I would say just practice. Practicing whatever it is you're, you're doing, whether that be music or art or what have you. I think you learn from repetition and... Um, and also maybe learn the correct things to practice. <laughs> um, back to the whole mentor thing, like find someone that you respect as a musician and maybe practice their techniques over and over. And also don't give up because it, it is like a process to get good at anything. And um, there's a lot of years of practice involved in there that you, know, you have to come to learn to accept that you will get there. It's just it's just a process. Um and that's like my biggest tip to new producers or new artists or whatever. That's great advice. Yeah, those yeah. baby steps, they do add up to a, a big gain in the end. Absolutely. Very cool. More than, more than you can see it a lot of time, you know? Oh, absolutely. Like you only perceive like the foreseeable future, but then, you know, like if you keep working now, five years from now, you might have, a, you know, better time. <laughs> exactly. Like I've had the same grind since like 2013 or something, you know, like I'm, I'm reaping the rewards of what I laid out then. So practice and keep working. I love it. Practice the right things. (laughs) Absolutely. Well, after all these years of producing and uh, making amazing tracks, do you have a production that you're, you look back and you're just absolutely the most proud of? That's tricky. Um, Honestly, I'm always on to the next one. Uh, one of my favorite projects is probably this Mousetrap EP. That was a milestone for me. Um, very proud of that. I liked my song Navigate yep. that I put out in 2016. That was a four-year-long writing process. I wrote that song in high school starting. Oh, wow. And by, the time I, by the time I finished, I was like 20. 20. Um, and I, you know... 
I traveled all around the country and stuff while I wrote the song and I recorded little micro bits of video on my phone and I made the music video out of clips I took from my travels over the four years. That was a really cool milestone too. Um, those are probably my two biggest like, wow, that's a proud moment kind of things. Um, yeah, that's that's what I'd have to say. Maybe my YouTube channel. Yeah, totally. Yeah, yeah which that, I, I that's love so a lot much of too. grind. <laughs> yeah, for the sure. Ultimate grind. <laughs> I hear it. Yeah. All right. Well, wrapping up here, tell everybody where they can find out more about you and hear your music. Um, you can find me on social media at Julian Gray anywhere. Um, if not Julian Gray, then Julian Gray Media. And if you want a like a clickable link for all of those, you can go on my website, juliangraymusic.com. Awesome. And that's G-R-A-Y, guys. Yes. Julian with an A and Gray with an A. It's like the American way. <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> Dude, well, thank you so much for coming on the show. Uh, we, we really, really appreciate it. And, uh, Absolutely. It was a great interview. Yeah. I, I love to do these sort of things. It's always a good time. Yeah, man. It was awesome having you. And uh, like I said, I was fanboying out a little bit. So this is uh, pretty <laughs> awesome. <laughs> Thanks for having me. Absolutely, Julian. It's a pleasure. Well, well thank you, Julian. Thank you, everybody who has been, have been listening. Um, we'll see you next time. <laughs>